So anyway, uh, we decided just to continue, and I'm going to begin by reading the uh, section of the sermon uh, that we're going to delve into. Uh, Matthew 5:31 and 32. Jesus says, Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. And so this seems to be a very straightforward, easy uh, to understand verse, but a very almost strict and stern. Uh, But we need to understand it in context. And the context of it is given in the immediate context and then the greater context of all of Scripture and also in the cultural context that Jesus is speaking into. Uh, I came across this comic, <clears throat> and here we have a, a pastor speaking to his wife, no doubt. He says, I'm preaching on abortion tomorrow and next Sunday on homosexual marriage. And it's easy to get uptight and dogmatic about these issues that are clearly contrary, but ignore the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is this issue of divorce and remarriage. Uh, Many of you may know that uh, divorce amongst Christians statistically is actually higher than divorce among non-Christians. That's not very good, is it? Not a good testimony. To soften that a bit... Um, that, that, that statistic is based on people who identify their faith as Christian. If you actually compare the uh, divorce rate of uh, uh, couples who both are actively involved in a local church, which, which is, by the way, the number one best indicator of a genuine uh, Christ-like life, someone who's living for Jesus, the, the best indicator is, are they actively involved? That's, that's the best thing that... Uh, People who study faith and faith practices, if if you're involved, if you're uh, involved in Christian life and attending Christian church. So the statistics of a a husband and wife that are actively involved in a local church is very, very, very low. I don't remember offhand, but it's extremely low. And so that statistic that more Christian marriages end in divorce versus non-Christian is kind of a skewed statistic because it just lumps in all the people who identify. You know, most people say they're Christian because they're not Buddhist. You know, they're not Hindu, so I guess I'm Christian. My, my parents are Christian. But this issue is something that's very real and actually uh, neglected. And in fact, this is the first time I've ever taught on uh, divorce on a Sunday morning. Not that it's something I'm unfamiliar with. In fact, I'm very familiar with divorce in many, many ways. My parents were divorced when I was uh, uh, young. I think I, I actually don't remember what age. I was probably around 12. Uh, 13, something like that. All of my aunts and uncles on both sides of my family, and there's lots of them, all of them, all of my siblings, except the one who remains unmarried, have uh, been divorced, many of them multiple times. The one unmarried one is getting married in July. He's 55 and he's getting married. I get to do the wedding. (laughs) So hopefully he'll make it. So uh, many family members, uh, as a pastor, I've walked through divorce with many, many couples and have seen every kind of permutation uh, of, of this issue. I've delved, because of this, into the depths 
of this issue theologically. What does the Bible teach? What's right? What's wrong? Practically, legally, morally, emotionally, which is it's a very emotional issue, all of that. And uh, what I'm going to say may make some of you uncomfortable. It may actually make you angry uh, because I'm going to present an understanding, my understanding of what the Scripture teaches on divorce. And, and, and hey, if I make you angry, just hear me out, pray about it, search the Scriptures, and maybe we can agree to disagree on some things. Uh, so I'm, I'm hope, um, it's a delicate issue, and I'm going to try to communicate what I feel the Bible teaches, uh, even though it's contrary to what uh, a lot of TV preachers talk about and things you read in books. So, All right? Is that okay? Okay, Jesus <coughs> is using this as the next example of how kingdom righteousness exceed, must exceed pharisaical and worldly ethical living. Remember, this is, this is, this is actually one sermon. <coughs> and this is just the next example in a list of uh, five or six different things that Jesus is using as an example to, to illustrate his point that kingdom righteousness, living as a Christ follower, our ethical standard, our life uh, standard, must far exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the righteousness found in, in those who are not uh, uh, believers in, in the world. And so he's just mentioning this as an example. He's not giving a complete teaching on divorce and remarriage. It's just an example. He doesn't delve into the delicacies, the intricacies of, of this issue. He's just saying it as an example to prove his point. <clears throat> and I think that as a result of people not taking this verse in context, it has become a very abused verse, one of the most abused, misunderstood passages of the Bible and people think that this is the be-all be and end-all of the teach, New Testament understanding of divorce and remarriage. And in reality, Jesus wasn't actually even talking specifically about divorce and remarriage. He was using that as an example of living righteously in the kingdom compared to Pharisaical righteousness. <clears throat> and so too often this verse is used simply to cast a stone or shame uh, uh, rather than minister truth and grace. You know, we, we use this uh, to judge other people saying, well, they got divorced. Well, was it adultery? No. Oh, somebody must be. That's sin. Well, wait a minute. Who are you? Now, Jesus, is, Jesus didn't come. Nothing Jesus says to, uh, is to communicate condemnation, right? Or shame. He comes to bring truth and he comes to bring grace. And this, likewise, needs to be understood in a way that brings truth, truth, as well as grace. Erdman's a trusted Bible commentary, uh, says this concerning the verse. It says, this is the absolute ethic. And what's meant by that is like, this is the highest standard. This is the target uh, that we should aim for. This is, this is the ideal of, of Christ-like living, of the kingdom, which is no more meant to be a subject for legislation than anything else in the passage. And what I've seen in American Christianity and evangelicalism is that we take it as another form of legislation and in doing so actually violate the purpose of the passage, the, the real meaning of the passage, that this isn't just something, another thing uh, uh, that we're to legislate our, our life with. Jesus is talking about what it means to be a Christ follower. Christ followers need a different kind of righteousness altogether. A righteousness based out of love and obedience, which is relationship. Right? Relationship. 
Relationship with Jesus. Relationship with the Father. And because of that, right relationships with others in your life, especially your spouse. Not just a more intense version of Pharisaical righteousness. And Pharisaical righteousness was knowing all the rules and not violating any of them. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not enough. So a lot of Christians, though, unfortunately, in the, in the Christian world, we kind of see this as, oh, these are just the new rules, and we have to not violate any of these rules, and we miss what Jesus is really trying to communicate. Does that make sense? All right. Uh, let's go on. <clears throat> it's, not a, it's just not a new rule list to check off whether we're living right or whether someone else is living right or wrong. You, know, you can't think of righteousness as just a checkoff list that everything's right. Or everything's wrong. This is right. This is wrong. That checkoff list isn't how you determine righteousness because righteousness is relationship. It's being in right relationship with the Father through having right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and demonstrating that right relationship in your relationships with others. Does that make sense? And, and relationships are complicated. Right? It's not checklists. Right? You know, relationships are complicated. I mean, having a relationship with a dog is hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get Thank God. I'm freed from dogs. Thank God. <clears throat> but my neighbor has a dog. And I'm, <laughs> almost every day, I hear them yelling at their dogs. I'm like, wow, they must like yelling at their dog. Because they've had dogs for years. If one dies, they get another one. And they keep yelling at the dog every day. It's like, right, get back here. Right, they must they must like yelling at their dog. Isn't that cute? They're yelling at the dog again. Hi, hi. I don't even know what the dog is. Get back here, dog, get back here. So <laughs> if having a relationship with a dog is complicated, how much more having a relationship with another person is complicated? How much more is having a relationship with an infinite, omniscient, omnipotent God is complicated? Alright? And so <clears throat> righteousness is not just a checkoff list. Uh, everything's on I'm okay relationship. Furthermore, it has been said, moving on with what Jesus says, it says, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of uh, divorce. In Jesus' day, as in our day, people use divorce as an easy out. Alright? Um, it's not easy in the, in the cases where they use divorce or, they, or they, they get a divorce, you know, they don't feel like they're taking the easy way out, but ultimately that's the easy way out rather than facing the issues in the relationship that need to be changed. And sometimes it's both husband and wife that are not willing to face issues. Sometimes it's one or the other, but ultimately divorce is not, it is, is a, an easy way out, not that it's easy, uh, and sometimes it's the only way out. Um, the intent of the law was to protect uh, what Jesus is referring to and I'll read this next, of this Old Testament uh, um, law concerning divorce was actually to protect women so that men could not divorce their wives and they would be left uh, helpless, especially in those days in that, that culture, uh, a single woman had no means of support and often just became slaves or beggars. And so the whole idea was to limit, it was, it was, to, it was to protect marriage uh, and to protect women, certainly not a means to end marriage. All right, That was never its intention. So this is what Jesus is specifically referring to, a verse that was being hotly debated in Jesus' day. And it's from Deuteronomy 24. 
when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his sight because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. Uh, so they, they said, oh, this is Moses saying it's okay to, give, to have divorce. He's actually just saying when this happens, he continues on, uh, when she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, so she remarries, if the later husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, first of all, even in the law, that remarriage wasn't considered a sin, was it? No. If the later husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, or if the later husband dies who took her as his wife, then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Again, I can't go through and, and just uh, uh, talk about and explain this, unpack this whole verse, but this is the verse that Jesus was referring to. And it's primarily talking about uh, a situation where uh, if there's a divorce and then a remarriage, and then that marriage ends in divorce or widowhood, that the wife is not to go back to the original marriage because that would bring some, some, a form of uncleanness in, in the land or in the people. And, and God's purpose was to keep his people pure. But Jesus was a direct, what Jesus was doing was directly addressing the misuse of this law. Because right? this was being debated. What did Moses really mean by this? What were the real conditions that allow us to have divorce? What is acceptable? What's not? And Jesus is addressing, the, in his day, the misuse of, of, this, of that text and a raging debate about what was, acceptable, uh, what was acceptable reasons for divorce or not. I only have 24 copies, um, so please, just one per family. Uh, and if, if there's not enough, we'll have it available online. This is an article by, uh, published by Christianity Today, a very reliable source, that, uh, and written by a scholar that goes into real depth about Jesus' words here. And so I, if, if you're interested in understanding it more completely and, and, the, and the, the details of the interpretation and the cultural setting that's in, in, taking place, I, I encourage you to read that. <clears throat> it really helps lay out the, the whole understanding. But even today there's a raging de- debate as to when is divorce acceptable, when is it not, and how do, we, how do we make that work in, in our world, all right, when there's so much divorce and there's so much remarriage? Jesus goes on and says, I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Jesus is not making a blanket statement or a new legalism about divorce and remarriage. He's using it as an example to illustrate his point about kingdom righteousness. That kingdom righteousness calls for an end to legal maneuvering as a way to justify divorce and frankly all sin and destructive behavior. Right? Because they were using the context and the cultural application of what Jesus said, the context of how, what he was saying, and the cultural understanding of the people he was talking to, he was, just, he was saying this, 
We need to end. Kingdom righteousness is an end to figuring out how you can get away with doing what you want by interpreting the Scripture in a particular way. That's what he's really addressing. I think the message just nails it. I like the message. Uh, Sometimes it's right on. Sometimes I think it misses it. But man, in this passage, I think uh, Peterson, uh, uh, Eugene Peterson, the author of this, the translator, really, really nailed it. And so the message translates it this way. Too many of you are using that, the verse, as a cover for selfishness and whim. Pretending to be righteous just because you are legal. <laughs> you, know, you never define righteousness by, by legality. Even God's legality, let alone the world's legality. If it's legal, it must be okay. <laughs> Come on, are you serious? <clears throat> Abortion's legal. You know, uh, Lots of things are legal that are not right. Uh, please, he goes on, please, no more pretending. If you divorce your wife, you're responsible for making her an adulteress unless she has already made herself that by sexual promiscuity. Now just take for a second. Stop for a minute. Uh, in one sense, he's saying, hey, remarriage is implied. He's not saying, he's, not, he's saying, let's just say the husband divorces his wife. The wife doesn't want to be divorced. She wants to be faithful. But because he divorces her, she's forced. And again, in that culture, a woman can't live single to marry someone else. It breaks her heart, but it also breaks the marriage covenant. That's adultery. Okay? He said, quit pretending. If you divorce your wife, you're, res- you're responsible for making her an adulteress, unless she's already done that by sexual promiscuity. And if you marry such a divorced adulteress, you're automatically an adulterer herself. You can't use legal cover to mask moral failure. That's the point. That's the point. And the real issue is moral failure. And in, 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 in marriages that end in divorce, somewhere there is moral failure. And it, and it differs and it's complicated. It's very complex. I've been involved in so many situations. And my intent is always, and some of you can, can testify, I mean, I'm not going to call you to, but you can look at my track record. I do everything I can to save a marriage. Uh, but sometimes it can't be saved. You know, it just can't. And so what do you do then? So we're going to go through a short course on divorce. I'll try to keep it shorter than first service. (laughs) Divorce in and of itself is not sin. Just think about that for a minute. And if you don't believe me, just find in the Bible where it says it's a sin. I have some friends that would actually call me not a Christian for saying this. Because they're just so tunnel visioned on this. Not understand. Divorce actually isn't a sin. Uh, even in the passage, Jesus says it results in adultery. He doesn't say divorce is a sin. Right? He says it results, the consequences of it, is that someone's going to be committing adultery or it's going to break uh, that marriage covenant. Again, he's talking about the ideal. Anything less than that. How many times has God given exception to a moral law? I don't know of any other. But here we see there are exceptions to marriage. That there are times when divorce is, even in God's eye, not sin, even though it's not the ideal. Okay? Divorce is the unfortunate but allowable course of action in some cases. Again, I'm not in any way diminishing 
We've so exalted the importance of marriage, rightfully. Marriage is so important. And marriage is under such an attack in the world. It's an enemy's number one strategy to disrupt God's plan. Because if if He can ruin a family, He ruins that family's testimony. Often He derails everybody in the family from living uh, a kingdom uh, life. He can derail whole churches just by coming in and having key people as marriages get disrupted. And so it's just the number one way. <clears throat> and so we need to value and protect marriage, but not make it the be-all and end-all of a person's righteousness or, or if they're right or wrong. Does that make sense? All right. That's a, like I said, it's a delicate topic. Uh, marriage in and of itself is not a sin. Yet, in Malachi, it's very clear God says, the Lord God of Israel says that He hates divorce. He hates divorce. And frankly, if you've been through a divorce, you hate it too. Because it's horrible. For And listen, why God hates it? For it covers one's garment with violence. It's an act of violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. God hates it, but He doesn't ban divorce. In fact, throughout Scripture, we have various reasons where divorce is an acceptable option, even if it's never the best option. Divorce violently rips apart or murders that new person that was created when the two become one. In the act of marriage, the two become one. And divorce is really ripping that apart. And you know what ends up? Blood and pain. And, and it but listen to what he says. He says, take heed to your spirit. Even when it's justified, even when there's reasons that make it okay, it still is a violent act. And the command is, hey, you need to care. You need to be aware of the spiritual implications. The implications. That how is it going to affect your spirit? Divorce is never taken lightly. And even in cases where it's justifiable, even if someone commits adultery multiple times, we still want to see if there's any chance of reconciliation. And there are many, many testimonies of people that have worked through reconciliation. Uh, and, and that's a great testimony. And God can, can do that. <clears throat> adultery is the most clear exception. And Jesus uses this to contrast what had become in His day virtually no-fault divorce. That was a big uh, 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 segment of Jewish teachers were basically saying what Moses meant was that for any reason, uh, when he says for any reason, and that handout I gave you explains this in in detail. Um, In other New Testament passages where Jesus talks about divorce and doesn't mention in uh, the case of adultery as an exception, it's implied. All right, because everyone knew that if someone was caught in adultery, then automatically the marriage bond was broken. In fact, Old Testament law required death as the penalty for adultery. And the only reason it wasn't practiced in Jesus' day was because the Romans would not allow the Jews to kill someone 
to, to do, uh, administer capital punishment in, uh, just for committing adultery because the Romans had become quite comfortable with the idea. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so the exception was not gender specific. It applies both ways. So in most cases in Scripture, you know, it's just not, you know, men can't divorce their wife. If their wife commits adultery, it goes both ways. If there's adultery or other exceptions, and we're going to touch on a few of those, um, and remember what we studied last week. Jesus said, if you look at a woman and lust for her, you've committed adultery. So before anybody gets on the high horse and thinks that they're better than the person who uh, is getting a divorce and there wasn't adultery involved, maybe you're already living in adultery because you're lusting. Are you hearing me? All right. Wow. Jesus just said that. It wasn't a different chapter in a different place. He said that the sentence before. All right. <clears throat> and the word uh, Jesus is used is pornea, which really applies to a, a wide range of sexual immorality. So divorce was legitimate or acceptable. I hate to say legitimate, but it's like it is an option uh, in cases uh, under this or any of the other exceptions that are mentioned in uh, the scriptures. Remarriage after divorce is actually a different subject altogether. All right? Causing adultery or committing adultery is the consequence of moral failure. So, in other words, I'm saying, what I'm trying to say is that Jesus is not talking about the issue of remarriage after divorce in this passage. What he's talking about is the misuse that was prevalent of his day of quoting an Old Testament scripture as an excuse for getting out of a divorce, uh, out of a marriage rather than dealing with your moral failure. He's not forbidding remarriage. <clears throat> In fact, if we look at Jesus addressing rather than those who are misquoting and, and misapplying Old Testament Scripture, if we look at when Jesus encountered people who were caught in adultery, His response is quite different. What did He say to the woman who was caught in adultery? Yeah. He says, no one condemns you. That's when he said, he was without sin, cast the first stone. And he walked up and said, no one condemns you. Look, where's, where are your accusers? Now he does say, go and sin no more. But how about the woman who had five husbands and was living with her boyfriend? Alright? How did Jesus, did Jesus go, shame on you! You've been married five, do you know that's just gone? adultery? You're twice as bound for hell as anyone on the planet. You know? And you're living with someone? Oh! And you're talking to me? Have you read this book on marriage? Well, you know what he did? He didn't even talk on the issue of marriage, did he? He said that just to get her attention. And then he told her how to worship. He said, listen, you need to learn how to reconnect with God. Because your life is all messed up. Because worshipers worship God in spirit and in truth, not in this place or that place. He did. So when he deals with people that are actually struggling with this issue, he deals with it with grace, with forgiveness, and leads them to God. Right? So don't use that verse in Scripture to, to cause shame in someone that's going through a divorce or had gone, had gone through a divorce. Uh, <clears throat> here's a neglected Old Testament verse on uh, marriage that it's neglected in our day. It wasn't neglected in Jesus' day. It was pretty commonly accepted. 
again, the uh, handout that I gave you kind of goes into more detail, but it's kind of been forgotten. Uh, evangelical Christianity, American Christianity in the, in the 20th and the 21st century kind of just skips over this clear uh, verse on what's required of marriage. It says, if he marries, and it's, it's picking up in the middle, but if someone marries another woman on that time, nowhere in Scripture is polygamy uh, endorsed or, or, or taught, but it was accepted as a cultural norm, and therefore God's uh, Word does uh, bring clarity on what the expectations of marriage is in that context. It says, if he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. So those three requirements, food, clothing, and marital rights, if he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment of money. So they were really married, and if the husband was unwilling to provide those three things, then basically the marriage covenant had been broken. And when it says that she is able to go free without payment of money, it means that uh, she was, uh, uh, was not bound to that marriage covenant. She didn't have to pay. It's not, it's not talking about alimony. <laughs> she, she can go free. You don't have to pay her alimony. No, 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 no. So you don't have to buy. She didn't have to buy her way out of this marriage covenant. Right? So I already talked, said that these, these things were accepted. Neglect. I think, why is that verse overlooked in our, in our current culture of marriage? And, and the only reason I can come up with is that I think it makes it really easy to have a completely broken marriage where you're not providing nourishment, where you're not providing clothing comfort, where you're not providing uh, uh, marital rights, sexual fulfillment, <clears throat> and look at a divorced person or look at someone who's committed adultery and say, well, I'm better than they are. When really your marriage is just as messed up. And it's really failure to, to provide those things is, is what leads to a broken marriage. All right? Those three things were food, clothing, marital rights, or sexuality. It's li- literally, specifically talking about sexual fulfillment, but it's really fulfillment in, in every sense. Nourishment, protection, and fulfillment. Again, I believe that what's good for the goose, good for the gander, it works both ways. Both husband and wife are required to provide these for one another. Nourishment, spiritual, physical, emotional. Uh, protection, physical, spiritual, emotional. Uh, sexual fulfillment, all right, and fulfillment in every way possible that you can. That's the basis. It's that text that's been the basis for marriage vows in, in cultures for thousands of years. That's where we get the marriage vow words from. It's from this text. Um, and, and like I said, it applies to both husband and wife. And uh, the money part is there were other conditions in the Old Covenant, especially when a slave was, was taken into marriage, that they could be redeemed out of marriage with a money payment. And he's saying, well, listen, if you're married, you're really married. And you need to provide those. Even if you marry someone else, you still need to provide these things. Because failure to provide these things is breaking your marriage covenant. Does that make sense? All right. Uh, Here's another little point. Uh, Again, looking at not all, but more of the scriptures on uh, uh, divorce is Paul's discussion in 1 Corinthians 7. I find this really enlightening. Paul writes, To the married I give this command. 
So Paul the Apostle is commanding, he said, not I but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband. Period. Is that pretty clear? Then he goes on, but if she does, she must not she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. Uh, and a husband must not divorce his wife. Uh, and so, again, a husband must not divorce his wife. He's saying this goes both ways. It's a clear command. Nevertheless, Paul was un- understood all of the permitted reasons for divorce, even the scriptural permitted reasons for divorce. But he's saying, hey, you don't get divorced. All right? Uh, he doesn't go into all of the exceptions because he's making a point. Just like Jesus was making a point, he's setting a real high bar. No divorce. No divorce. This is the command. No divorce. No divorce. Now, it's interesting that the next line was, but if she does. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus said no divorce. Paul the Apostle says no divorce. It's written in Scripture, no divorce. And then he says, but if they do. So what we understand, and it applies to the men as well, is that even in the early church, and Corinthians was one of the first of the New Testament books written, even in the early church, this was a big issue. People were getting divorced even though they were commanded not to. And they were still in the church. I know people that have been kicked out of the church just because they've gotten a divorce. And there's some times when that's actually required. I've been involved in those situations. Depending on the details and what's best for the people involved. Uh, But it's not automatic. And in New Testament church, people were getting divorced even though they weren't supposed to. (laughs) Have you ever seen that before? Like, wow. You know why? Because it's a pastoral issue. People go through these things, and Paul's trying to say, uh, the ideal, and just like he said, don't get a divorce, but if you do, stay single until you can reconcile. But that's the ideal too. Alright? And that didn't always happen either. Just like, you weren't supposed to get the divorce in the first place, but if you do, this is the best, best solution, if possible. Uh, and, and the ideal is always reconciliation. We hope for that. We plan for that. We try. But sometimes reconciliation just isn't possible. And listen, don't you ever judge someone else's divorce. Because I guarantee you, you don't know all of the details. Well, they got divorced, but no one committed adultery. They must be in sin. Maybe you just don't know what happened. Because there's shame issues involved. And it's none of your business what happened. Alright? Maybe you need to get on your knees and pray and make sure that you don't have judgment going on in your heart. And understand, oh, to the, to the adulterer, you say, there's no one who condemns me. Alright? How can we make this work? To the one who's lived with five different people and is living with someone right now, you go, listen, you need to learn how to connect with God. Alright? I'm in no way endorsing divorce. I'm saying do whatever you can to avoid it. I'm in no way undermining the importance of marriage. I'm actually just trying to understand what Jesus said in its context and how we can live it out. Here's another exception to divorce. If an unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister, it's not gender specific, is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. So this is Paul addressing the situation where 
people are married, one of them becomes a believer, and if that unbeliever is no longer willing to live with someone as it, because they're practicing Christianity, that Christian and the unbeliever leaves, the Christian is free. There's another exception to the thing. Don't divorce, but if your spouse abandons you, well, then you're not under bondage. What does that mean? It literally means you can remarry. Okay? Uh, um, <clears throat> if that exception... Uh, if that applies, if you're not under bondage to this exception, this is the one exception where Paul kind of elaborates a little bit more as to, well, what does that mean to the believer? It means that they're not under bondage. And, and the word bondage here is the same word that's used in another place to describe the marriage bond. All right? <clears throat> so they're free. They can remarry. Remarriage after divorce is not sin. Um... And it's interesting that that last verse, um, let me jump back to it. It says, but God has called us to peace. And understand that in these situations, we try to live righteously as best you can. And when you're dealing with two people and they're they're fractured, they have sin issues, hurts, wounds, misunderstanding, you do everything you can to try to save that marriage because it's best for each individual, it's best for everyone else. But if they break, if that breaks apart, then you do everything you can for each individual to get them restored and whole, all right? Because we're called to peace. Now don't get, get don't get in fights about this. Church splits happen over this. It's crazy when people need love. All they get is condemnation and judgment. Uh, Jesus, in, when Jesus was speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, he was not addressing a wounded person going through the mire of a broken marriage. He was addressing of the issue of misinterpreting um, a uh, verse in the Old Testament wrongfully as a as a as an easy way out. <clears throat> so, like Jesus's day, you know, we're we're really living in a in a divorce free for all, and the right response is not uh, to yell sinner. You can end the side show there. <clears throat> um, we need to understand that uh, each individual is uh, unique, each situation is unique, and handle it with grace. Jesus Christ died for our sins. So even if, and God forbid, someone divorces for the wrong reasons, get them healed up from that. Get them solid in God. And you know what? Let's, Let's reconnect with God. God has the ability to bring restoration. Jesus is the Redeemer. And no matter which situation, no matter how disqualified you may be, all right, Christ came to bring redemption. And He takes broken vessels. All of us are broken. All of us are, are wounded in different ways. And He takes us broken, wounded, uh, twisted people. And out of that, He's building a kingdom of kings and priests that are motivated out of love and obedience to be His representatives on earth. So no matter where you are, there's hope, there's freedom to live. God wants to empower you to have a marriage that fulfills not just the legal requirements, but actually is, is a reproduction of, of the love that He has with the Father and the Father has with Him and the Holy Spirit on the earth today to represent His kingdom on earth today. Amen. Tori's got some announcements. Welcome her. Good word.